You. Oh. Guys, how you doing? Yeah, right. Now I believe you. You're probably doing good. Well, hey, oh, no. Well, hey, my name is TJ. Uh, I'm so excited to be hanging out with you guys. We're going to be hanging out every night looking at God's Word. And uh, I'm a pastor from San Diego. Oh, good, it's staying. And you might be like, oh, bro, do you serve? Do you shred? But here's the thing, I, I'm, not from that, <laughs> I'm not from that part of San Diego. Like, I'm from the part where, like, my, my little kids have mullets. Like, there, <laughs> there was a rattlesnake, a huge rattlesnake on our porch, and I didn't want it to bite <laughs> my kids, you know? So I killed it, and then we ate it for dinner, and then I tanned its hide and made a hat band for my wife, you know what I mean? We're from, like, the backcountry, rural, hillbilly part of Ramona, so... Anyway, uh, that's, that's me. I'm from North Coast Church, and uh, my family is here. I have a picture of my family. There we are. <laughs> hey, my, I love my family so much, obviously, but they, they are hilarious to me. We started this tradition last year where we all dress up as the exact same thing for Halloween, so we were all Chewbacca. In fact, if you have an epiphany this week and you're like, I know exactly what you guys should be for Halloween next year. Come, come find me. I would love to know because we have not decided yet. Here, here's a picture of my family where you can actually see our faces, okay? Oh, uh, oh, you like them. Oh, yeah. Look at those. Oh, hey. Listen, junior high girls, those boys are tiny. They're nine and seven, okay? Don't even. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. Oh. Anyway, listen. Now you know what their faces look like when you see us around camp. Don't be a stranger. Uh, would love to say hi and talk to you. And uh, it's going to be an awesome week. But hey, each time that we get together in this chapel, we are going to be using this ridiculous, incredible theme of pawn order to help us make sense of the book of John. And every night we're going to move forward a little bit more through the book of John. And the writer of it is this incredible name. What was, what was the narrator's name? John. The Barker? Yeah. Buddy the Barker, right? Well, Buddy the Barker is based on the guy who wrote the book of John. And he had maybe the most incredible nickname in the entire Bible. His name was the son of thunder. He, he and his brother were known as sons of thunder, right, Buddy the Barker? You kind of get, huh? You kind of get where we're going with this? Did you say no? Oh my goodness, you, you crazy people. Well, hey, John in his book is going to tell us explicitly why he's writing it. And, and don't turn there, turn there, I'm just going to read this to you. But in John chapter 20, verse 31, this is, this is what he says. He's setting out this book as proof, as evidence, as if you and I are in a court case. He wants us to know the truth. And here's what he says. But these are written, right? This whole book, this thing that I've written, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And some of you, if you're honest, you hear that and you're like, hang on, hang on, hang on. Okay, the dog theme was cool, but what you're telling me is that we're going to spend time talking about like courthouses and truth and the Bible. TJ, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a junior hire and that sounds terrible and boring. Okay, now let's, the, the, this junior hire that I'm creating in my imagination, let's name him Brayden. Okay, 
Those of you here named Brayden, <laughs> I'm sorry. But you know what? Listen, Brayden, you might be here and you're like, you know why I came to him like I came to him like because I heard that their milkshakes are incredible and I want to flirt with girls and maybe even kiss one, you know? I didn't, but guys, Brayden, okay? I know. Let's just be honest, okay? And do you know what I would say to Brayden? Guys, I would say, Brayden, listen, you need to cool your jets, man, because, because what we're talking about tonight and this whole week is so mind-blowingly important. Maybe the most important thing ever that we accurately see and understand and have the lens of truth. See, I'm allowed to say this. Back in the day, I can say this because I'm an old man, truth worked differently than it works today. Two people would get in an argument and they'd be like, what you're saying is not true, what I'm saying is true, and here's why. You're wrong and I'm right. And then the other person would get all mad and they'd be like, no, what you're saying is wrong and I'm right, and here's why. And people would, this, they're fighting, this sounds terrible, but people would make a proof of this is what's true, this is why it's true, and anything other than that is wrong, it's false. This is true and this is false. But the world that we live in today and the way that it handles truth says you are now no longer allowed not just to say that anybody's wrong, but to believe that anybody's wrong. You are expected and persuaded to believe that everybody's right, that everybody is entitled to not just have their own truth, but make their own truth, believe their own truth, as if, as if by wanting something hard enough, you could uh, bring it into existence and make it true. Sorry, did that sound like flatulence? That's my bad. <laughs> That was an unintended consequence. But the problem is, that's not how reality works. That sounds amazing, right? If you could just want something so desperately and then because of your desire or your preference, that thing became true, that sounds amazing. And then if that was how it worked, we should honor each other and go, you know what? What's true for you is true for you. And what's true for me is true for me. You just, you know what, buddy? You just need to live your best life. You just need to do what your heart tells you to do. But that's not how the world works. Let me, let me prove it to you, okay? I have a friend. Can we, this is uh, evidence A. Look at him. This is John. I work with John, okay? Now, now looking at him, here's what you can tell. What a handsome, regal, distinguished gentleman. No, no, don't say ew. I'm not saying you should date him. I'm just telling you. My friend, look at, he has silver. His silver above his ears, the Bible would say, my friend John is incredibly wise. <laughs> I'm laughing because he has no idea that I'm talking about him right now. Guys, John is 43 and believes that Bigfoot is real. I know, I know. Some of you are like, he is real. I believe it with my entire being. Like when I was a high school pastor, you guys, I would take kids on whitewater rafting trips to the mountains and the forest, right? And when I would go, John would be like, TJ, please listen to me, please. This is so important. <laughs> he grabbed my collar. If you see Bigfoot, take a picture. I need documentation for my studies, you know? And you might be thinking about it, you're like, TJ, you are so rude. You are making fun of this nice, innocent man. He's not hurting anybody by believing that, right? He's innocent. Maybe this is important to him. TJ, you are being an offensive jerk by making fun of him like this right now. And you know what? I would agree with you. 
If this was as low as the stakes got for you believing your truth, my believing my truth, then we would go, okay, you know what, John, buddy, I love you. You can believe in Bigfoot. But the problem is certain truths that people want to believe don't just come with low stakes. They have incredibly high consequences or implications of those ideas. The stakes get high. Like, like think about this with me, if you will. Let's say John comes to me even more excited than he is about Bigfoot. And John goes, TJ, I don't know if you can understand this, but I am the most excited I have ever been in my entire life because through reading countless self-help books, hours of meditation, and becoming a master in goat yoga, I have unlocked my true potential. I have found my life's purpose and destiny. I have discovered my truth. TJ, I can fly. And let's say he, he divulged this incredible truth to me here at camp, and he was like, you are going to be the only one who gets to see this. I'm about to make history. I have unlocked the, I, the potential of humanity. I found my truth. I believe it to my bones I can fly. And he begins climbing on the top of this building. What do you mean, you guys? In this world, do you know what we're supposed to say to him? We're supposed to say, I support you, John. You live your best life. If it's true for you, then do it, right? But as John climbs to the top of this building, and in an incredible moment of both bravery and stupidity, and time slows down and he jumps, and the song begins to play, I believe I can fly. I don't know the rest of the words. Right? None of you in that moment, if I was the only one that knew he was doing this, none of you would look at me and go, TJ, you should let him jump. You should let him live his truth. That's true for him. Don't get in the way of it. You would be offensive. You would be a jerk. No, do you know what you would do if you knew that I alone watched John believe this? I watched him jump and then I watched him splat like a water balloon as his guts popped out of his body and he died. Blah! I mean, be honest with yourselves. Do you know what you would think at that moment? You would think, you would think, TJ, you are a disgusting, vile, horrible, evil person for letting that man jump to his death. Why? Like if the police found out that I knew that he was going to do this and instead of trying to stop him, I said, live your truth. They'd probably arrest me. The, the point that I'm making, you guys, is that it does not matter what our feelings are, what our preferences are, what our deepest desires are. You and I don't get to will something into truthful existence. There is no power within humanity to make my truth or for you to make your truth. Truth exists higher than humanity. It does not come from you and I. And this is an experiential, observational thing that we can all know. It is not real life to say, you live your truth and I'll live my truth. That is not how the world works. But the amazing thing for us is that we know the one from whom truth comes. As we explore truth this week, John is going to passionately make the case and set it before us of what truth is. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from me or what we want or what offends us or what doesn't. This is what John says. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of John, 
chapter 1, verse 1. Maybe you're not familiar with your Bible. As you turn there, there's no shame in using your table of contents. It's at the very beginning of the Bible. You can look through. John, the book of John is maybe two-thirds of the way through your Bible. And when you get to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 1, please go, yeah. Oh, you guys are the best. Okay, if we have established that you and I cannot will it to be true, that my truth is that the law of gravity does not apply to me. I don't make my own truth by preference. Truth exists whether I'm aware of it or not whether I like it or not, whether I want it or not, because truth does not come from you and I. It comes from the one that John is going to write about. Here's what it says, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And it would be at this moment that our hypothetical friend Braden would say, See, I told you! I told you that the Bible was confusing and boring. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying that, oh, God, they gave him this name, and like, oh, he's the word. This is the most confusing, bizarre thing ever. This makes no sense. And it would be at this point that I would say, Braden, I am a 37-year-old man, and I would probably go to jail if I throat-punched you the way that I want to. But you know what? I am not above paying the person next to you, and then I would give you the old nod, and you would go, yeah, and then Brayden would be quiet, okay? Because what you and I may not realize on the surface is that this thing that John is saying to the people that he was talking to was a literal mic drop moment, perpetual mind bombs going off in their head, because for them, they had this concept of the word. In the language they spoke in Greek, it was logos, which is an incredible word. It sounds like, like if I had a dragon, what I would name my dragon, you know what I mean? Logos. And for Greeks, they, they had these philosophers who also had incredible names. There's a guy named Philo, and there's a guy named Heraclitus. Everybody say, Heraclitus. Heraclitus. Oh, that's good. And the philosophers of the Greeks told them things like, think about it, think about it. Like, let's, let's pretend that you and I are sitting with the philosopher, and we're like, hmm, trying to understand deep knowledge, right? And the philosophers would say, think about how much movement and change and chaos is in this world, even in the normal things that you and I don't ever think about. Like a kid, like you, you're not just growing year after year. You are constantly changing and moving, and not even day by day, but moment by moment, sometimes imperceptibly, you are constantly growing in minimal amounts and getting stronger. And old people, moment by moment, are shrinking and getting weaker and one step closer to being dead, right? There's always constantly perpetual movement and change and chaos. And you think about the seasons, right? There's, there's winds that are toppling trees and volcanoes that are erupting. And, and there's day that's getting, the sun's coming up and then it's going down. And then everything's moving. And then the, the summer gives way to sunburn. And then that gives way to all the leaves fall off the trees. And then there's winter and there's rain and then there's snow. And then the whole thing goes back over and stuff's growing and stuff's dying. And all that's happening on this crazy lump of a planet that is literally hurtling at a bajillion miles an hour around this literal giant fireball called the sun. Sun just 
And the Greek philosophers had this idea that they dubbed logos. And it was obvious to them that in a world of so much movement, everything is changing and everything is in chaos, there has to be something so powerful that it is holding all of this chaos together and keeping it from imploding on itself. There has to be something like that. And for the Jews in the crowd that John was talking about, they also had the same word, but they associated different concepts with it. To them, logos was a reference back to the creation account in the Old Testament in Genesis 1. You've probably heard this before, right? Where it literally talks about God speaking into existence and planets are forming and stars are bursting onto the scene and light itself is just, and by God using words, he's like, light, and I don't know if light, like a laser beam comes out of his mouth, like, or it just exists all of a sudden and explodes, but, but for Jews, they understood logos was this amazing, impressive concept. It was the very creative power of God that in word, God, word, by the act of his all-powerful simply speaking, everything we are aware of came into existence. And again, our friend Braden would go, yeah, right. That sounds so far-fetched. Oh, God said words and then everything existed. Burr, 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 burr. And you would already know what I want you to do. And you would go, yeah. And you would elbow him in the chest and knock the wind out of him. And you and I would go. <laughs> <sighs> but for a moment, for a moment, you know what I say? Let's, let's humor our imaginary friend Braden. And let's, let's go there and say, you know what? Maybe as the skeptic, it does sound far-fetched that, that a God created everything and as the logos, the all-powerful one who holds everything together, he controls and he creates. Maybe that sounds a little fairy tale-y. And to humor our imaginary friend brain, I would say, well, let's consider the alternatives. I am a nerd and I have nerded out on your behalf. There's a man named Dr. Richard Dawkins. Dawkins is one of the foremost thinkers in the world today. He's an atheist, which means he believes that there's no God, and he's a world-renowned biologist. This man hates the Bible. He hates the God of the Bible. And he, when asked, where did all life come from? I kid you not, this was his answer. He believes that aliens came down. <laughs> I know and planted the seeds or the building blocks of life, and then that, that thing became like a multicellular organism that became a sea slug, that became a fish with legs, that became a monkey, that became a you. The origin, okay, so an alternative besides God is aliens. And here's the thing, you guys, I'm not, I'm not presenting you an idea that is so far out of the, like this is a leading thinker today who doesn't wanna believe that the Logos, the God, the Word is responsible for everything that we know. There's another man who's currently, to this day, a professor at Florida State University. His name is Dr. Michael Ruse, and he is a professor of the philosophy of biology. He literally writes college-level textbooks on the origin of life. And he, when asked, where does all life come from? Can I, can I tell you his absurd answer? He said, now this is going to sound smart, he said, I believe that at a certain point, inorganic crystalline structures 
piggybacked on other inorganic crystalline structures and became the world's first organic molecule. And you're like, ah, big thinker. I could roll with that, okay? Do you know what inorganic means? It means not alive. Do you know what a crystalline structure is? Table salt is a crystalline structure. Decoded, what he's saying is, I believe, because I don't want to believe that this came from God, at some point, a not alive speck of table salt said, hop on, buddy, and gave another speck of table salt a piggyback ride, and that's where life began. Are you? So again, I would say it actually takes more faith to believe <laughs> the rivaling ideas of where life came from than it is to believe in God, the Word, the Logos, the one who holds all chaos together, who spoke everything into existence. That God is not just true, but he's the source of truth. And, and let me give you one more thing. When I, when I think about some of the things that I enjoy the most, when I think about the amazing beauty of a place like Hume Lake Christian Camps, or when I think about <laughs> the taste of perfectly seasoned tri-tip after it's been on the smoker for eight hours and it falls apart in your mouth, or when I think about Laughter, not just any laughter, but you know the kind of laughter where it's like you can't breathe and you're wheezing and you feel like you're going to pee your pants at the same time? Yeah. Oh, it's the best. Guys, just, just those things that I just listed to you are so amazing to me, so valuable to me, so beautiful and special to me that because that's the nature of them, it seems so far-fetched that you could believe there is no God, that there was literally nothing, and then somehow nothing exploded, and all these things that I love, all these people that I enjoy, all these things that, all these people have the ability to reason and love and care and make me laugh, like all that came from nothing. If that's true, you realize that you and I have no purpose, no value, no meaning. We are accidents that came from nothing. That is incredibly Bleak. And, and as, as a nerd, I just, I just want to give you maybe the nail in the coffin. Maybe the most compelling argument I could make to the truth of a God, as John would say, the word, the logos. I present to you my most prized artwork. The bombardier beetle. Guys, I, I drew this, okay? If you've never heard of the bombardier beetle, let me, uh, the, that is a beetle who <laughs> has been equipped with a flamethrower on his butt, Okay? Uh, next picture, please. Here we go. This is it shooting its flamethrower, okay? It has, it has these two glands in its body. They each hold a toxic chemical, and when they mix outside of its body, they cause a chemical reaction, an explosion that's hotter than boiling water that burns its predator. Like, let's go next picture, please. This picture is a frog. This is a video that you can look up on YouTube. This is a frog that tried to eat the bombardier beetle. It was in its stomach. It exploded. It's, and here's the crazy thing. It's flamethrower on its rear end 
is like a machine gun. It pulsates explosions hundreds per second. Just the frog was literally dying on the inside and went bleh and had to spit the beetle out. You're telling me tri-tip, laughter, hume-like, and the bombardier beetle are just accidents that came from nothing, and that beauty, that awesome, that amazingness has no purpose, no value, no meaning? No! Think about how dumb that sounds. Guys, I feel like a scientist. The unequivocal, unarguable conclusion that we... <laughs> I'm talking like a scientist now. That we must arrive at is... Simply this. No, there is a Lagos, the Word. There is a God who holds all things together, who wanted laughter, beauty, and amazing creation for His glory and for us to enjoy. He doesn't just exist. He's not just true. He's a good God. The Bible will say it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 20. It says... For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Those Greek philosophers, the Jews, they understood by looking at the world around them, there is something massively powerful, incredibly impressive. God, Lagos, he exists. And, and here's the thing, you guys. I'm not just making this. Some of you guys are like, I've been going to church my whole life. I know that God exists. Again, boring. What are you, Brayden? Some of you are like, I don't like this. Yes, my name is Brayden. I'm being sarcastic. If your name is Brayden, you're, you're, you're probably great. Okay? But listen, listen. I want you to hang with me. What we're saying is not that simple. We're not just saying... It's true that God exists. Remember, we established truth does not come from you and I. Truth is not affected or changed or brought into existence by you and me, our feelings, our preferences, or our offenses. It's a higher power who isn't just true in his existence, but he is the source of truth itself. In, oh, I just choked. <coughs> in Isaiah chapter 45, verse 19. Very succinctly, this is what God says. He says, I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. He is real. He is true. He is the one who decides and establishes truth. And that God is amazing because he wasn't just content to be Logos, to be this cosmic, powerful entity that maybe you and I find out about. And because we understand how massive he is, we're just scared of him and he's distant and far away. See, later in the first chapter of John, he's going to say something that would have caused the people who are listening to him, their jaws to hit the floor. In John chapter 1, verse 14, he says this. The word, that Logos, became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only who came from the Father. Full of grace and truth. Who are we talking about? I'm sorry. Who are we talking about? Do you not know? Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the Lagos. God become flesh to dwell among us. And for some of you. You're checked out, and you have missed the point. Because realize 
how mind-blowing this would have been for them. What John just told these guys is that, that thing that holds the world together, the very creative power of God who's responsible for, for creating everything. Wait, like he's here? He, he's a person? He walks among us? And even now you're like, yeah, TJ, this is obvious. But here's the problem. I'm just going to say it. I think you might have the wrong understanding of Jesus. I did for a long time. Guys, my belief of Jesus was so small that honestly, it embarrasses me right now. Can I tell you a funny story? Okay. When I was a kindergartner, I went and stayed at my grandma's house like I would every summer for like a week, right? And my grandparents went to Old People Church and at Old People Church, they had an old school Sunday school and they dropped me off in the Sunday school. And I remember sitting there with this Sunday school teacher and the Sunday school teacher said, all right, boys and girls, listen, Jesus loves you. And he wants you to go to heaven with him forever. Now raise your hand if you want to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. And No, 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 I'm not asking you. Listen, every single kid in that room raised their hand except for me. And the teacher's face went pale, like all the blood left her head. And she's like, oh, Timothy, that's what she called me. Why don't you want to go to heaven and be with Jesus? And I said, I'd rather go to Disneyland with my grandma. Do you know why I thought that? Because my grandma had this picture of Jesus hanging in her kitchen above her oven, and he looked like this. Oh, no. Oh, no. Is he not there? You've probably seen pictures of Jesus where he has, like, a beautiful robe, and he's holding a little lamb. Do you know what I'm talking about? And it's kind of like he has blush on his cheeks, right? I remember as a little kid thinking about that Jesus going like, who's this guy? This guy's totally not impressive. He probably just whispers cuddly words to the lamb like, oh, woo, 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 little lamb. Woo, woo, woo. Like if you encounter Jesus, he'd be like, do you want to pet my lamb? Woo, 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 right? And I knew... Because I, I knew what I, I had taught, which was like, Jesus was really nice. But then these mean guys like conquered him and beat him and he, they killed him. And now he's like kind of in heaven. And whenever I sin, it makes him cry. Like that was my understanding of Jesus. But here's the problem, you guys. Some of you in this room have a similar view of Jesus. And I would say that a small view of God causes a small faith. A weak view of God causes a weak obedience. Some of you in here, because you have the wrong view of Jesus, your life is bloated with sin and guilt and shame. You are mean to other people. Sometimes you don't like yourself. You don't have an accurate perception of the world because your view of Jesus is too small. It's not accurate to the Bible. Let me, let me show you this. In, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, this may be where our definition, our wrong definition of Jesus comes from. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this. Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now this is the Bible. This is true. And the picture that is painting is, is Jesus 
humbling himself. He's, it's saying that in all his glory, he's not even considering equality with God something to be grasped. Though he is God, he's humbling himself to the point of death, which this is what it means. For those 33 years that Jesus came to earth, if that is the only thing that you are basing your understanding of Jesus on, if that's the only thing that you're basing your motivation to follow him and obey, it's so off kilter. Because the Bible says for those 33 years, that was the most limited. Jesus not operating in his glory. He came to earth and sacrificed everything so that he could show that he loved you. But he wasn't showing in that time. He wasn't showing the full glory of God, all of his power, all of his majesty. He set that aside for you. And for you and I in response to go, oh, look, it's little Jesus. It's so inaccurate. Here's, here's what the passage continues to say in verse 9. It says, therefore, God exalted him because of his death on the cross for us. He exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Jesus is not a small God. What John is saying is that logos the one who holds the world together, the one responsible for creating everything. He said it in John chapter 1, verse 3. He said, through him all things were made. In verse 2, he said, he was with God in the beginning. With him, he was, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus wasn't just a baby that came to the earth that gets sad when you sin. Jesus is the all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe who is there at the creation, who knew when he created you, who you would be, what you would be, what you would struggle with, what your insecurities would be, what you would need to know about him. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful God. He is the Logos, the Word. And in Matthew 28, 18, he will say about himself, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And the reason the Logos would have blown their mind is because John is saying he's come to earth. He wants to be with you. Here's the point. We'll close with this. Why did Jesus create everything? Why did Jesus come to earth? And why do you exist? It's not because he needs you. In John 1.14 it says that God is grace and truth. He's not just the source of truth. He's the source of grace. The Bible will say a different way elsewhere. It'll say that he literally is love, which means that he's the source of what's true and what's right. He decides it. And he's the source of love. And he, he sought you, not because he needed you. He has everything he needs. He is powerful enough to do anything that he wants. But in all of his love and all of his grace, He overflowed with love and said, I want you to exist. I want you to experience my love and my care. I want you to know me. I want you to experience my purpose and my meaning for your life. And some of you are here and you are drowning in your sin. And you don't believe that that God would ever want anything to do with you. Some of you are here and you have doubts. I don't know if this God is real. Some of you are here and you're frustrated or angry. God, how could you allow that thing to happen in my life? Some of you are here and and you would say you have a great relationship with God. And for all of you, what you need to know is simply this. This is going to be the foundation for a week. 
the all-powerful God of the universe thinks about you, he knows you, he cares about you, he loves you, and he wants you to know him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. And I thank you that as your word says that you chose in your grace and truth to become flesh, to be knowable to us. God, thank you for the way that you seek us out, that you love us. God, this week, for each of us, not, not as a group, but as individuals, whatever it is that you have for us that you want us to hear, to understand, we pray that you would make it abundantly clear that you would get glory as we sit under the teaching of your word this week. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for wanting to be with us. In Christ's name we pray.